Well, good morning. It's good to see you here as we gather to worship our God together. My first announcement is good news. Next Sunday is the first day of spring. So just keep that in mind on your way home this morning. I'm glad you made it in. It looked like you changed your clocks. That's good. And you slid in, so we're glad to have you here. And the announcements are there on the back of your bulletins. We will be having lunch together, and then following lunch, uh, we'll be having an afternoon service around 1.45. Wednesday prayer meeting on Zoom. If you want to join us, let me know. And uh, the ladies have a Bible study on Saturday. It's at the home of the Whites. You can see Joe to get information about that. I'm sure she'd like to know who's all going to be there. So keep that in mind. And then the other announcements are there in your bulletin. As they apply to you, please take heed to them. All right. Well, now let us give ourselves to the worship of our God. Psalm 119 and verse 68 says, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Here we're reminded that our God is unchangeably good. He is always doing good. And who better to receive instruction from than from a good God. For we are weak and we are ignorant. And we ought to be desired. We ought to desire to be instructed from Him. We just take a moment and ask God to come and meet with us, bless us, and draw near to us and teach us from His Word. Inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from the 33rd Psalm. Mr. Plumer, in his commentary on the Psalm, says, Where there is genuine trust, there is gracious fear. And where these are there, there is holy joy. So where there is trust, there is fear. And where there There's holy joy. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship? Behold, the eye of the Lord is on all those who fear him, on those who hope of his loving kindness. Lord, he is our help. And our shield. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. Well, now let us take our hymn books, the Trinity hymn books, and turn to number 53. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Oh, my soul, Jehovah, praise. And together, church, let us lift our voices 
in giving our God praise this morning. Number 53, Trinity Hymn Book. God, Heavenly Father, help calm our anxious hearts. Fill us with your love. We long for your glory to fill the entire world. Thank you for your grace, without which we cannot praise you like we should. Be with the whole, be with those who cannot be here due to illness or circumstances beyond their control. Prepare our hearts to receive your word and to keep your children on the heavenly highway, the King's highway. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And again, in your Trinity hymn books, let us turn to 295, hymn 295. The end of all the earth shall hear and turn unto the Lord in fear. 295.
Turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 24, to the end of the chapter. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, Is it a spirit? And they cried out in fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. We ask ourselves, when will Jesus return? He will return possibly when the things seem to be at their most absolute worst. Consider, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake these days shall be shortened. Be of good cheer. Christ is Lord of all. The boat is a type of the church, and the wind and the waves are types of worldly opposition. We are to trust in God's promises. None of them have failed, and none of them will fail. Jesus never fails. We are to not occupy space until he comes. We are to be busy in serving the Lord. We ask ourselves, what does it mean to serve the Lord? It's praying, reading, studying God's word, giving tithes and offerings, and doing the corporal works of mercy, that is, being the hands and feet of Christ. Not everyone or should everyone be workers in full-time service in the church. We should all be busy preparing the way for the Lord to come. He wants to find us being faithful when he returns. We will be happier when we know that we are doing that which pleases our Lord. May God help us. This morning as we go to prayer, once again, we want to remember the Yulbergs, which labor there in Bolivia. God might bless and use them. Also want to pray for Pastor Bala. They're in Auckland, New Zealand, and especially not only with the work there at the Sovereign Grace Church, but his worldwide ministry with Tamil speaking people. And, and he mentioned in his letter that we want to pray for the advanced pastoral training that he's now doing over Zoom with many pastors from India and, and so forth. So pray that God will bless his labors there. And then also, as we mentioned on Wednesday night at prayer meeting, now, this coming week will be a Reformed Baptist Pastors Conference in Grand Rapids there at um, Grace Emanuel Reformed Baptist Church in Grand Rapids. So pray for uh, the men who will gather together there Tuesday and Wednesday of this week that God will draw near and use that ministry to do them good. Well, let us pray together this morning. Our Father, we're thankful for the Word of God and even the reminder this morning that You are the one who rules over all things, the wind and the waves. And Father, we give You thanks that in the midst of whatever we may travel through, that You're the one in control, that You have power, You have wisdom, and You're a good God. And therefore, we ought to trust You. We ought to, Father, lean upon You and lean not upon our own understanding. Father, we pray that you will come by your Spirit this morning and be in our midst. We cannot worship you aright. We cannot give you praise that is your due. We cannot hear the Word and be obedient to that Word apart from the work 
of that one who you sent, the helper, the spirit. And so, Father, we pray that we might know the ministry of your spirit in our midst this morning. Do us good, even to the end, that some may even come to be a part of the kingdom of God by you granting unto them faith and repentance this morning. Father, we pray for your work as it's carried out around the world. And again, how thankful we are for the fellowship that we have and the partnership that we share together with many around the world. And Father, we just pray especially for the Yulbergs. We thank you for them and their willingness to leave uh, their homeland, leave family and friends in order to labor for the good of your kingdom there in Bolivia. Father, we ask that you'll continue to bless. We know that one of their concerns is that of reaching adults. They're, they're able to reach many children and young people, and yet, Father, the adults seem to be indifferent to the things of God. And, Father, how we pray that you would raise up men and women who would come along and be a part of, of the church there and use it for your glory and honor. Father, we know that they are also looking for a place, a building, there in Hora Felice. And we pray that you might provide them that place even before wintertime comes, that they might have the shelter they need as they meet together. Father, we're thankful for Pastor Bala. We thank you for his labors, not only there in Auckland as he labors in the church and seeks to shepherd and care for your people, but you've given him the unique ministry of, of ministering to DeMille-speaking people all around the world. And Father, how we pray that you might grant him wisdom as he gives pastors counsel and help as they seek to shepherd the flock of God. Father, we pray that as they continue uh, the advanced pastoral training that you might draw near. We pray that everything would run well, that there would be no uh, difficulties with uh, using the, the Internet and Zoom. And we pray, Father, that this would be beneficial for those pastors who will gather together. That, Father, they might be found faithful in the work and labor you've given to them to feed the flock of God. Father, we pray as well that you would be with the men that meet in Grand Rapids this week. We ask that you be with the one who opens the word of God. We pray that it would be a time of refreshing for these pastors. Pray that you would grant them safety even as they travel in. May the fellowship be sweet and may you draw near. Father, we ask again that as we come to open the Word of God, that you would come and meet with us, give us understanding, and help us to rightly apply it to our lives as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, again take your trinities. I understand you practice this in Sunday school. It's page number 500, He Leadeth Me, O Blessed Thought. Hymn number 500 in the Trinity Hymn Book. Let's stand together as we sing.
said. You can be seated. I'll take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to Romans. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. One of reading, you're hearing the first ten verses. The focus of our attention will be upon the first six, but we'll read down through verse 10. Follow as I read Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land which the Lord swore to give your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that it might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. He humbled you and you let, and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that it might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water and fountains and springs flowing forth in the valleys and hills, A land of wheat and barley, of vines and figs, trees, pomegranates. A land of olive oil, honey. A land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God, for the good land for which He has given you. We'll stop our reading there. One of the notes that are sounded throughout the book of Deuteronomy is the note of remember or forget not. Moses covers this theme many times throughout this book. And even in our reading this morning, we, we hear those words, remember and forget not. The time they have spent in the wilderness have not been easy days. But these were days in which God was using to teach them things that otherwise they may never learn. Moses also knows that the days in front of them will be better days. He, he makes that contrast you might have noticed. He says to them concerning the earlier days, they were days in the wilderness. Later on we read, these were good land, the good land. You have the wilderness and you have the good land. And perhaps many of us can relate to that idea. There are days when we may find ourselves in a wilderness, and there are days when we may find ourselves in a good land. We can make that contrast between what we now have and what we one day will have. We, we sort of live in a wilderness now, but what one day it will be a good land in which we live. We will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. But Moses, you'll notice, even in the few verses that we read this morning, tells them that when they pass from the wilderness into the good land, and remember, they're about ready to do that, 
But when they pass from the wilderness into the good land, even the good land that they're passing into will have hazards. There, there are dangers that they must be aware of, and, and he will open that up in greater detail later on down in this chapter. Mr. Moyer, in his commentary, says the future was bright with promise, but not free from danger. And they need to remember that. But this morning we come to focus upon the wilderness. Those days in the wilderness had been days of of testing. They had been days of trial. They had been challenging days for the children of Israel. And in these first six verses, Moses tells them, to remember, remember those days, for those days have peculiar lessons for you. They're to remember, because those days will say something about the true condition of their hearts. And so this morning, I want us to focus in Upon these first six verses, originally I had this wild idea that we'd get through, well, I thought at first we'd get through this whole chapter, but that's not going to happen unless you're willing to stay a while. But we'll look at the first six verses and, and focus upon that season in which they were in the wilderness. And there are three points in particular that I want to point out concerning those 40 days in the wilderness. And the first is this, it was a season planned. It was a season that was planned. It was planned. Moses makes it clear that these days in the wilderness were not just by chance, but it was the Lord who has led you into the wilderness. It is the Lord who has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. For 40 years, you may have thought you were simply wandering aimlessly, but know this, God was directing every one of your steps. It was we say in theological terms, it was by the providence of God that He took you in the wilderness. It speaks to the absolute sovereignty of Almighty God over all things. We too may have those days when we think we're just wandering aimlessly. Why has God brought me to this place. Why has God given me this position? Why has God done this? And behind it all is God's mighty hand, His sovereign working, His divine providence. Our confession of faith, the 1689 confession, speaks of God's providence in this way. God, the Creator of all things, in His infinite power and wisdom, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all His creatures and things from the greatest to the least by His most holy and wise, or its most wise and holy providence, to the end for which they were created. Now that's a mouthful. And, and that perhaps can be a sermon in and of itself. But, but here, the writers of our confession state very succinctly that God by His power upholds, directs, disposes, and governs all His creatures and things. From the greatest to the least, God is absolutely sovereign 
over all things. God is at work carrying out His plans, directing the course of history, and despite what man does or what nature does, God is ruling and reigning over all things. Listen, God is never overruled, He's never frustrated, and He's never uncertain. None of those things. For some reason, this doctrine of God's sovereignty is often despised. It is not cared for. It is interesting what Mr. Spurgeon has to say with regard to this doctrine. He says, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. No attribute so comforting than to know that God is sovereign. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believing that sovereignty has ordained their affliction and that sovereignty, sovereignty overrules them and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children ought to be more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation. The kingship of God over all the works of His hand, the throne of God and His right to sit upon the throne, on the other hand, there's no doctrine more hated by worldlings, no truth of which they may have made such a football as the great stupendous but yet most certain doctrine of the sovereignty of the infinite Jehovah. Then he says this, Men will allow God to be everywhere except on the throne. They will allow Him to make His workshop, to fashion the worlds and make the stars. They will allow Him to be in His armory, to dispense His alms and bestow His bounties. They will allow Him to sustain the earth and bear up the pillars thereof, or light the lamp of heaven, or rule the waves of the ever-moving ocean, but when God ascends His throne, His creatures gnash their teeth, and we proclaim and enthrone God in His right to do as He wills with His own to, his, to dispose of His creatures as He thinks well without consulting them in the matter, then it is that man turns a deaf ear To us, for God on His throne is not the God they love. It is God upon His throne that we must trust. That's Mr. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, the man everybody loves. And what he has to say with regard to the sovereignty of God. Well, here we're reminded as we look at this journey in the wilderness, that God is absolutely sovereign over all things. Again, another quote, and I love these quotes about the sovereignty of God. Mr. Pink says, To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. And to say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is the Most High, doing according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is the Almighty, the professor of all power in heaven and earth, 
so that no none can defeat his counsel, thwart his purposes, resist his will. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the governor among the nations, setting up kingdoms, overthrowing empires, determining the courses of dynasties as pleases him best. Such is the God of the Bible. God is sovereign over all things. And He's directing our steps. And in that, we ought to find the greatest comfort even when we pass through the wilderness. Even when, when God seems to be silent and we don't seem to see Him, God is in control, directing and leading all our steps. Remember Daniel chapter 4. There's King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and God humbles that man and makes him like a beast in the forest. And then when God restores his mind, Nebuchadnezzar confessed these words. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? The wilderness was all in God's directing. And we should find great comfort in whatever comes into our lives. We're, we're living in days of uncertainty. We're living, as we'll look at this afternoon a little bit, we're looking at days that, that seem to be chaotic. But God is still on the throne. And whatever you may hear on the news at night, God is still on the throne directing governing, sustaining, upholding all things by His great power and His great wisdom. And we need to trust Him. So this season was planned. That's the first thing I want you to notice. But now secondly, this season has a purpose. It has a purpose. As we were reading through the text, I trust that you, were, you, you saw the purpose or the purposes for this journey through the wilderness. He says to them, verse 2, You shall remember all the ways which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that He might humble you, testing you. He, he's leading them through the wilderness and in doing so, He is both humbling them and testing them. He's humbling them by causing them to recognize their dependence upon God. As they're traveling through the wilderness, God in unusual ways shows them that without Him, they would be in a world of hurt. He says to them, think about it, you were hungry. And you couldn't produce food. So how is it that you satisfied that hunger? How did that come to pass? I did that. I did that. I produce manna out of heaven. Look over to Exodus chapter 16, where we have the account set before us. Exodus chapter 16 We read there in verse 3, And the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the, to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. <laughs> oh, that we were back in Egypt. Well, we had plenty. Well, you know, you know what it sounds like they're saying? We were living the good life. How quickly they forget. <laughs> How quickly they forgot what life was like. But, but that's what they're thinking. Oh, 
We were, we were living the dream. Had full pots. And now here we are in the wilderness. And now we're going to die of hunger because we have no food. So then we read verse 4, chapter 16 of Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I have may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. God says, I'll provide them food. And then jump over to verse 15. And when the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall not take an omer apiece. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of person in each of you. Each of you has in his tent. And the sons of Israel did so. And so they gathered much and some little. God just provided. They get manna from heaven. He sends it down. They, they thought they were going to die in hunger because of God's judgment. And God says, I'm not going to let you die of hunger. I'm going to give you something, something you could not give yourself, something you could not produce, but I'm going to provide you this manna. And they were humbled by that. We could have never done that ourselves. He also mentions, going back now to Deuteronomy 8, he also mentions another way that he's humbled them, and that is for 40 years they're wandering around in the desert. And listen, the Bible says their clothing did not wear out. Now, perhaps some of you have clothing, you know, you've got your favorite T-shirt. And you think it's not wearing out, but man, your wife's think it's wearing out. She's thinking, when are you going to get rid of that thing? I don't know about you. I don't know what's going on, but but <laughs> I don't know why I'm confessing this, except it's just an illustration. For the last two years, I can only wear socks for about three times before I look down and i got a hole in them. I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's the material. I, I, I go look for socks. I, I, I try a different pair of socks, and, and they don't last. They, they don't last hardly a month. Forty years. And their clothes never wore out. Think about that. That's amazing. Not only that, their shoes. Their shoes never wore out. Your footwear these 40 years did not wear out. How did that happen? This was God's doing. They were dependent upon God for all these things. God humbled them through these things. Charles Hodges writes, Christian humility does not consist in denying what there is of good in us, but it is an abiding sense of ill desert and the consciousness that, we, that what we have of good is due mainly, or namely, not mainly, it is due namely to the grace of God. To the grace of God, what good I have. God used these things in order to humble them, to realize in and of themselves they were not sufficient. They needed help, and they needed to put their confidence not in themselves, but in Almighty God. Matthew Henry says, Those who trust in their own sufficiencies and are so confident of it that they neither exert themselves to the utmost nor seek unto God for His grace are youth and young men who are strong but who are apt to think themselves stronger than they are. 
they shall soon be made to see the folly of trusting in themselves. He humbled them. But also we read here in the text that the other purpose is that He tested them. He, he disciplined them. Again, we see this there in verse 2. That He might test your heart. See whether or not you will keep His command. At the end of verse 3, again it talks, well let's just read verse 3. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It was a testing. He wanted them to learn something. It was a discipline. Verse 5, the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Now, oftentimes when we think of discipline, what do we think of? I asked the young people this morning that question. And, of course, you'd be interested in knowing what their answers were. When your children think of discipline, they think of losing something that they want to enjoy. They think of being grounded. They think of, you know, having a little spanking episode. So they think of punishment. But discipline is not always punishment. Discipline is also for our instruction, for our training, to help us mature. When you, when you set your children down, I trust you do, you set your children down and you instruct them concerning the Word of God. You instruct them concerning how they ought to live and how they ought to behave themselves. You, you instruct them what precautions they ought to take. You, you instruct them. That, that's part of discipline. And you do that so that they grow up and they mature. And God says, that's what I'm doing with you. As you're going through this wilderness, I'm testing you. I'm wanting you to see the true condition of your heart. In the midst of wilderness experiences, it reveals much about the true condition of our hearts. I do not believe that trials and challenges produce anything, but they do reveal a lot. They reveal something about the true condition of a man's heart. When you're in the midst of the wilderness, when you're going through those challenging days, what, what does that reveal about you? Do you find yourself grousing and murmuring and complaining? That's what the children of Israel did. We're going to die of hunger. We have no food. Word that we are back in Egypt. And sometimes we may do the same thing. When God takes us in the midst and leads us to a wilderness that is difficult and challenging, we may begin to have hard thoughts about God. Why, why am I going through this? This isn't fair. This isn't right. Life should be better for me. Instead of recognizing God has a reason, God has a purpose. But He's exposing something of the, of the true condition of your heart. We will go through unpleasant and painful experiences in this life. I think. Maybe I'm the only No, I don't think I'm the only one. We will travel through such things. But we need to pray that God will use those things to instruct us, to correct us, to transform us along the way. Lord, what are You teaching me through these events? I've prayed that more often than the last year than I think I'd done the previous ten. Lord, what do You want to teach me? Lord, help me. Instruct me as we journey through this time. He says, God's dealing with you as a father deals with his son. Every father should long that his son grow up and mature to be a godly man. And so he instructs him, teaches him. 
These things that come into our lives do not happen by chance, nor is it something that happened because God took His eye off the ball. We're not like Isaiah 40 when the people were crying out, you know, where are you, God? My, my way is hidden from the Lord. Do you sometimes feel that way? God, God, where are you? You must, what did you do, turn around? Did somebody else get your attention? And then they said, well, even if you did know, God, you're not doing anything. God is doing something. And He has a plan and He has a purpose. He's testing you and He's maturing you. Though it's difficult at times. What's truly in your heart? Let me ask you something. How, how do you handle things when you're brought low? How, how do you handle things when unexpected events happen that are difficult? How do we handle them? Do we end up with hard thoughts about God? Or do we cry out, Lord, teach me, give me grace? I mean, wasn't that the Apostle Paul's desire? Paul, in, there in Philippians, he, he was concerned, I don't want to bear reproach upon my God. He's in prison. He's not sure if he's going to live or die. And his chief concern was, I don't want to bear reproach upon God. So help me. So we see that God is doing this to His children for their good and to be glory to His name. And so we see that this season has purpose. But then finally, we see that this season has a goal. A goal or a desired end. What's that? What, what, what was God trying and seeking to teach them and, and long to see them do? Well, again, look at the end of verse 2. The test of your hearts was to see whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He provided bread for them in order what? Teach them that man doesn't live by bread alone. There's something more important than your physical appetite, and that is growing in the things of God, hearing the Word of God. Will we hear this saying again? I hope you say yes. Who says, man shall not live by bread alone? Jesus Christ quotes that. When, when Satan comes along and seeks to tempt him to turn stone into bread and to circumvent God's plan, to somehow see if you can work around God's plan, he, he's, he's taking you to the wilderness, Jesus, and, and you're hungry. You've been without food. And, and, and you know, Satan comes along and, and, and the Word of God says, if you are the Son of God, I think a better translation is this. Satan's smart. And he says, since you are the Son of God, there's no doubt, you're the Son of God, you can do this, man. Show your power now. Demonstrate who you are now. And what does Christ say to Satan? <laughs> he doesn't say, I'm not the Son of God. What are you talking about? No, no. He knows who he is. And he knows he has the power to turn the stone into bread. He can do that. But he quotes this passage. Listen, there's something more important than simply satisfying my appetite. And that is to be obedient to my Father who is in heaven. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. It says there in verse 6, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, and to fear Him. The desired end was that you would be an obedient people. Do what God told you to do. Why is it that when they went out and collected manna every day, they could only take so much? Why is it that they, they could only take enough for their family? So bigger families took a lot, smaller families took a little. Why? Because God said, that was it. God said, this is how you're to do it. And, and I'm going to give you other instructions. When you, when you go to carry that altar, I'm going to tell you how you're going to carry the altar. And I want you to be obedient. And you may think you have a better way. You may think you have a better idea. But I'm God. And you must be obedient 
to my word. To my word. And would to God that we would know something of that same spirit. In every area of my life, I want to be obedient to God. Here's what God's Word says. And oftentimes we come to the Word of God and His directions are clear. I I often meet with people who who aren't confused about what God says. His his Word is clear. However, (laughs) I believe I might be the exception. I believe in light of my circumstances... I might be able to just bypass that command, bypass those instructions, because, you know, I I think I have a better idea and a better plan. And what does God say? Man, you need to live by the word of the living God. And and, and the the amazing thing is, he tells them, listen, you, you obey me, and you'll know my blessing." You'll know my smile. You'll know my favor in your life. I'm going to give you a land that's flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you a land that has vines. I'm going to give you a land where you'll eat and be satisfied. Obey me. Now, I'm not... Please, I'm not saying... I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. We we, will go through difficult times. But you know what? Going through challenging times with the smile and favor of God isn't all that bad of a journey. And God says, I want to bless you. Blessed is the man who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of that word. That man will be blessed in his deeds. And so, when you go out and get manna, you're going to take just enough for your family one day. One day. That's all you're going to get. Yeah, but we're hungry. I don't want to be hungry again. Maybe I can gather up a few more just to make... It won't work. Because, you know, if you gather up, you know what's going to happen? You know what happened? You know? I'm, instead of just the two I'm supposed to take, I'm going to take four. And that way, I'll make sure I've got enough for two days. And the next day you go, and that thing's rotten. <laughs> what do you have to do? You have to go back out and get another two. Because that's what God said. Could God have spared him and let him collect for a couple? He could have. But this is what he says to do. Don't touch the altar. But, but it's about to fall. Yeah, but I said don't touch it. I touched it. It struck dead. Why? Because this is what God said. This is what God says. Are there any areas in my life, any area in my life that, that isn't measuring up to the Word of God? My being obedient to His Word in every part of my life. Perhaps you're here this morning and you know there, there's an area and you may, you may think something like this. It's, it's, just a, it's just a small area, Pastor. It's just a little thing. I mean, it's not like I've murdered somebody. It's, it's not like I've done that. I mean, it, it was just a little bit of gossip. It, it, no, but just me and the other part, we're the only ones that knew, and, and it's not a big deal. And we begin to rationale like that. But God wants us to be obedient to His Word. It's there that you will live and flourish. To know His Word and be obedient. And so I ask you in closing this morning, do you, do you want God's smile and favor upon your life? then do what His Word says. That's what God asked these people to do. And that's why He took them to the wilderness as He did. Yes, they were disobedient. That's why they're traveling through the wilderness. But God wants them to be obedient. He is our great God who directs our steps, who has a purpose in everything He brings into our lives and desires His children to obey. May God help us. May God help us. And maybe you're here this morning 
And your obedience has to do with believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're still here without Christ. God is a good God and He's given us far more than we deserve. And the greatest gift He gave us was His Son, Jesus Christ. That whoever believes upon Him will never perish but have everlasting life. And there are some of you that sit here and, and you need to believe upon the Lord turning away from your sins. That's His instruction to you this morning. Believe in Me. Trust in Me. Oh, may God help us. Let's pray. Father, we again give You thanks for the Word of God and the direction we receive from that Word. And we pray that as the people of God, we would recognize that You love us. You care for us. You're, you're at work in every situation in Your promises. It's always going to be for our good and for Your glory. And so, Father, where we have perhaps found ourselves complaining or having hard thoughts that we ought not to have in the midst of circumstances that aren't to our liking, forgive us, we pray. And Father, we pray that as the people of God, we would find great comfort in the reality that our God is sovereign, ruling and reigning over all things. Father, we pray that we would be obedient children. These are my mother and my brothers, those who hear the Word of God and do it. And so may we be found obedient. And if there's areas that we know that are not conformed to the Word of God, we pray that we would have dealings with You, that we would confess it as sin and forsake it. And with Your help and by the help of Your Spirit, that we would be found obedient to all of Your instruction. May the Word of God be more precious than gold. May the Word of God be more satisfying than that of bread. May that be true in our lives. Help us, we pray, as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, take the hymns of grace. Hymns of grace and turn to number 35. O great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. I trust we are a humble people. Number 35 in the Hymns of Grace. Let's stand together as we sing.
that be the desire of our hearts, that God's name would be glorified through us.